And we're back. Everyone gets a trophy. Kevin Dunn, Paul Wadlington. We did a lot of OU talk and preview last week, and uh, some of that came true, and some of it was just completely out of character for Texas, so we'll get into that. But before, we got to thank everyone. I think we're in episode seven, something like that. And Paul, this has been, uh, it's been a lot of fun for us, but it's also been a pretty good response. Yep, we've had a great response. Uh, we've noticed a huge swell in subscribers and listens. Thanks to y'all for your support. And if you want to support us and you want to support great free content that we keep providing to you, all we're asking of you is to go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, and recommend. If you are listening to this podcast and I've gotten great feedback and I've gotten emails and notes and private messages and all sorts of stuff from people saying they love it, they look forward to the show, it's helped their commute, it's helped their drive, it's helped their gym workout. If you aren't at the very least going and rating, reviewing, and subscribing, and giving us five stars, then you're a freeloader, and you're a bad person. You so are. don't be a bad person. Don't be a freeloader. Help us out. And, Paul, if you think it's three stars or four stars, I mean, whatever you think, just rate it appropriately for your opinion. Actually, if it's three or four stars, just keep it to yourself and send us <laughs> a quiet message. That's true. <laughs> only, only five-star reviews. No, actually, you guys do whatever you want, but... We do uh, want to stress the importance of subscribing, particularly on iTunes. That really drives uh, the analytics, and it also helps us know that our message is being received and you guys are liking it. So make sure you recommend it to other people. You subscribe, rate, and review. And the most important thing you can do, support our advertisers and our best advertiser. My favorite advertiser is Mortgage Solutions. That's mortgagesbygabe.com. You can reach them at 832-557-1095. That's 832-557-1095. Why do you want to reach out to Gabe at Mortgage Solutions? The answer is easy. Mortgage rates are at an all-time low. So whether you're looking to get a new mortgage or whether you're looking to refi, Gabe is going to get a great quote for you. And what he's going to do, because he's been a huge Barking Carnival fan for, since the inception of the site. I remember this guy from the very beginning. Uh, he's a huge fan of mine. Less so you, Kevin. Yay! <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, I don't care. He's paying he's us. Big supporter. He's been a big supporter of all of our endeavors. He's being a big supporter of this podcast. And what he's doing for us and doing for you, specifically the listener, is if you mention this podcast when you call him, he'll give you a free appraisal. That is a huge value. Yeah. It's worth $500 in your pocket. And I can tell you, even if you currently have a quote, you've got a deposit down, just give Gabe a call at 832-557-1095, mention the podcast, see if he can beat it. And I can tell you, even if you put down a deposit, there's a very good chance, I'd say there's a 90% chance that he's going to be able to put more money in your pocket, save you money over the life of your loan, save you money up front, and it's win-win for everybody. So support Mortgages by Gabe, Mortgage Solutions, give him a call, let him know you heard about it from the podcast. And Kevin... Yes. Before we, before we talk about the marathon of enduring uh, the rewatch of the Texas OU game so we could give you our analysis, there's another marathon that happened. Did you hear about this? Uh, the Kenyon, right? Yeah, the Kenyon. Well, that's, that's like about all I know. So. That's, that's sort of repeating yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, but, right. So what happened is this, and it's, it's a kind of a fascinating thing to talk about because he set and broke one of the ultimate barriers of human performance, which is equivalent to how people viewed the four minute mile back in the 1950s with Roger Bannister, right? Because 
in the 1950s, Kevin, people believed that if you tried to run a four-minute mile or sub-four-minute mile, you would die, right? That was, that was the medical belief. It was expressed with real certainty. And, of course, Roger Bannister broke that barrier, and it turned out to be a psychological barrier because within a couple of years of him breaking it, something like a dozen other runners broke it. So the two-hour marathon barrier has been one of these great just benchmarks of human performance for, for, for a century, and it was always believed it couldn't be broken. What happened is a guy named Elliot Kipchoge, an amazing Kenyan runner, he was the 2016 gold, uh, Olympic gold medalist. He's a He's arguably the greatest marathoner in the world. He, in partnership with Nike, set up a marathon in which effectively he only ran. All he, all he had were pacers, and they were constantly switching out the pacers. They gave him a flat course, very few turns. They gave him these hyper-supercharged shoes uh, that would react to the specific density of the pavement he was running on, all sorts of different stuff. And through that conspiring and finagling, Kipchoge ran 26 miles in one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. Your reaction, Kevin Dunn? Unbelievable. My reaction is you do a lot of random research for this show, and I need to probably start prepping a little bit. Uh, but it, it's 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 impressive. And I, I it's kind of funny we talk about Bannister. I saw a good special on him and kind of what you talked about, the not only what the medical community was talking was warning people about but the fact that this really was psychological and that showed right after but this is different I mean it, it's um I'm sure you have but it's pretty impressive the advantage that that Kenyans have but also just that culture and and the fact that this is kind of this is one of the things they do so if anyone was going to do it not surprised man yeah and specifically it's a group of one tribe in Kenya. It's not all Kenyans. It's these Highlanders that live up in the mountains and they have these genetic adaptations that are uniquely suited to marathon running. And they have an incredible built-in work ethic and this culture of running. It's like, it's like Jamaicans and sprinters, right? Like everything in Jamaica is about being a sprinter, right? That's, that's the apogee of what you can be as a Jamaican athlete. And in Kenya, particularly with this group of tribesmen called the Kalenjin, uh, they represent this small group of a few million tribesmen represent something like 80% of the elite marathon runners on the planet. So pretty amazing. But I want to ask you as, as staggering as this achievement is, and by the way, you know what his mile split was on average? What? Four minutes and 36 seconds per mile <laughs> or 26 miles. <laughs> hey, I, I want to bring up a point you, but before you get to yours though, because I it, look, it is, they've, uh, they do have, genetic advantages and and i'm sure that those type of kenyans have evolved to where they they seriously have a, a obviously a big time advantage heading into that but a lot of that too is work ethic real sports did a thing on that a long time ago and and you combine those two things you're going to get some special stuff yeah well and also it's it's a fairly impoverished region right. and they view their way out as distance running mm-hmm. and they even talked about, you saw that probably in that real sports segment, that it's very typical for children to run to and from school. Right. Right. So uh, their schools are typically six to 10 to 12 miles away from their homes. So they all just set out together with their backpacks early in the morning and they run to school. So it's, it's literally like your dad used to try to describe, you know, in Chicago that Bob Dunn would have to walk backwards and forwards to school in the snow <laughs> three miles uphill both ways, Kevin. <laughs> He actually, he's got a story maybe close to the Kenyans to where 
when he was at Notre Dame and coming back, where his neighborhood had gotten pretty rough and was was very segregated, block to block. And there were certain blocks when he'd go visit her six blocks away that he had to sprint through. Now both were both ways were uphill, so I'm not sure how much I buy it. Exactly. Well, so let me ask you. Uh, and so my my point was not actually that they had genetic advantages as a detraction. My point was, does the falsity and the rigging of this event detract in any way from the stunning achievement? Um, a little bit, but I don't, I don't look at it like a stray ha- a stray hand Favre, like, like to where it's taking it to that level, maybe more Barry Bonds home run record still impressive, but yeah, th- there was some, some lift. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it didn't happen in a real race, right? It was all engineered. It was engineered. That right. All said, that all said, I can't run a mile at the pace that he ran his 26 miles at. <laughs> <laughs> like that's staggering anyway i i wanted to mention that i thought it was pretty amazing uh human achievement and uh it's impressive hats off hats off to elliot kipchoge that is freaking phenomenal so here's my question here's my real question paul if you don't mind absolutely can he tackle nah that's well he's five foot six and weighs 125 pounds so all right whether he's willing to tackle, the body might be willing, but I'm not sure the body can, can perform or provide what we need. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think can he tackle is relevant and pertinent to the performance that we saw, particularly in the second half from the Texas Longhorns against Oklahoma. Uh, the game I saw, obviously, Texas covered, only one by uh, one lost by seven points, I should say. And I think some Texas fans are taking solace in that, but – the game that I saw was a lot more deceiving than that score. What did you see, Kevin? Absolutely. I mean, that, that was not a seven-point game. Uh, this is the first time, one of the first times, maybe there's one other game you guys can throw out there, but especially since Herman, quote-unquote, flipped the culture, and a lot of flipping that culture was getting some bad seeds out, and so you're going to have defections and all that. But he really wanted to flip the toughness part, and that was something that really was a problem with Mac on and off his whole time. Definitely early on, the middle he got figured out, and then the back end, there wasn't a lot of toughness and and also not nearly as much talent. Charlie had a weird toughness to the team, but the reality is they weren't physical. They At least they weren't uh, consistently physical. And this is the first time that I've seen the other team be more physical. I've seen Texas get out coached with Herman and Orlando and this staff. I'm not sure to that degree to go with the lack of physicality, the lack of toughness. They look like a dumb football team, and I mean that as a whole. And for the most part under Herman, they've looked like a small football or a smart football team. It's very disappointing, and a lot of your comments about Orlando, I know we talked at halftime and after, um, you know, I know he had had some problems, and we'll get into that before this game. And the defense is not probably the first one to blame in this game. But there's worries there, and then there's definitely worries with Alex Grinch coming in and getting that turned around as quickly as he did. Any of that or yeah. all of that fair? Yeah, I think it is. And as an aside, and I, we'll get into, obviously, into the Texas performance in depth, uh, probably more depth than we want. But <laughs> as an aside... Man, that game, talk about, so we talked about the scoreboard being a little deceptive with the seven-point loss. I think Jalen Hurts' box score is very deceptive because I saw a very vulnerable quarterback who, when he is not attached to Lincoln Riley's joystick on the sideline, uh, that that dude 
he does not have an NFL future, in my opinion. What no, do you think? Oh, I gave that on post game, and I, I, I said that. I said, look, and I, I even kind of hinted about that and really talked about that a little bit before the game, that I like Jalen Hurts. And, of course, you have to preface everything because everyone gets so butthurt and, uh, right. in, in, this, in this texting cancel culture uh, world we live in that he's a great leader. He's obviously a very good runner, elusive, can even be physical at times. He has shown all this for two to three years. Nothing has been proven that not only is he not a starting quarterback, he's not a backup quarterback in the NFL. He is he he threaded two needles, if, and that may even be nice right there, but two tough passes in this game. Lincoln Riley schemes him up to run and schemes up receivers that are wide ass open. They are Kellen Moore balls, and I don't mean Kellen Moore as a coordinator. I mean the loft balls, and you can put a lot of air under it, and you've got a lot of room to miss. That's been a majority of what he's done. He's a hell of a leader. It was a great pickup for them. He's going to be a good college quarterback, but seeing Heisman stuff and even hearing people talk about, well, could he be the next first rounder three years in a row? Get the hell out of here. Yeah, he has, he has no shot. Uh, no. I think if you know what you're seeing, and you saw what happened when Texas was able to take away some of his first reads, you saw a guy just panicking. But here's the crazy thing, Kevin. So I went through the game, and of course, C.D. Lamb absolutely destroyed us. 10 catches, 171 yards, three touchdowns. And that all happened on 12 or 13 targets. Uh, now, we knew he was OU's number one receiver coming in. And the amazing thing is the rest of OU's team in the passing game had five catches for 65 yards on 15 targets. Unbelievable. So basically, if you had been able to take away C.D. Lamb, OU doesn't have a viable passing game. And I bet Hertz probably turns it over one more time. But if you go through and look at Lamb's 10 catches and you rate the difficulty of each throw Hertz made, to your point exactly, Kevin – with one being like a backyard, backyard toss with Junior and 10 being Aaron Rodgers, you know, falling towards the sideline, threading a 45-yard pass into double coverage. Uh, if you take that on a 1 to 10 scale, I'd say Lamb's average, I mean, uh, Hertz's average difficulty of throw to Lamb was about a 3.5. I, I would believe that. I, I would a- absolutely believe that, Paul. Here's the frustrating thing. Uh, one of my critiques of Orlando that's been consistent, I've been doing this for a year and a half. I love the people that are like, it's easy to be smart after the fact. It's easy to point out things after the fact, smart guy. Well, I've been pointing them out before the fact. And then when it happens, everyone goes, huh, that's a surprise. But, but, Who knew we couldn't set the edge? Who knew we couldn't contain? Who knew that lining up in a three-man tight front would invite OU to run all game or invite Hurts to take off running in, in, in pass rush? So, in the first half, Jalen Hurts kills us with his legs. He rushes for 107 yards. 90 of those 107 yards happened on scrambles where Texas didn't contain the pocket. Which all those and, numbers we talked about and backed up, about 70% of his rushing yards were scrambles before this game. You mentioned that statistic, and it was exactly that. So then in the second half, uh, we start to run the tight front, right? We get away from trying to put any pressure on OU's offensive line and expose them in any way. We go to the tight front. We try to spill everything out to the corner. And, of course, we're supporting the edge from a distance with our defensive backs, which has been an Orlando staple. Uh, probably also one of the reasons we keep getting stingers and breaking our shoulders, uh, in addition to not being able to contain the edge. Mm. And basically, OU would line up and just beat us by formation. They kept running that counter gaps play where they're pulling the two backside linemen. 
They would have uh, H-back in the backfield, and they'd just run power, and they'd run counter tray right up our ass and tell the, the back to bounce it wide because the containment, the edge player, wasn't a down lineman, wasn't even a linebacker, right? It wasn't any guy with any kind of size. It was Brandon Jones' backside safety or B.J. Foster playside when he was able to play, being asked to come up from 15 yards away and contain the edge, basically outnumbered. And that's how OU ran the ball right up Texas's ass for the entire second half at will. OU finishes the game with 276 yards rushing. It could have been worse. And uh, frankly, the, the one upside of that rushing attack from OU is that it ran the clock. And so yeah. OU only ended up having 11 possessions in the game. Uh, so people who say, well, they only scored 34, Todd did his job. Well, they had 11 possessions. And basically they frittered away two potential scores with deep red zone turnovers that were a great effort by Anthony Cook on the fumble and then a, a nice uh, break on the ball by Brandon Jones. And a bad decision. Hurts through a stupid ball yeah. into the end zone. And he tried to throw another in, uh, interception to Deshaun Jamison later in the game. So that's the reality of the game. Texas doesn't contain, doesn't set the edge, doesn't tackle well. Our buddy Rod Babers counted 21 missed tackles in the game. I counted nine missed tackles in the second half alone just from Texas defensive backs. And the result of those missed tackles were two touchdowns and about 150 yards for OU. Yeah, and look, this is something you've talked about some of the different things that Orlando said. And by the way, for anyone that says, I, I, I love that, it's easier to be a smart guy after the game, well, what, are, what are you looking for? Are you looking for, are you looking for someone to predict the future? Uh, look, this is about seeing something and then talking about it and breaking it down. That's kind of what sports is about to me. So I, I never get that. But you, you've been on a lot of this stuff before, which is impressive. And I think all of us have seen, though, the one thing that continued to happen with that counter, why are we giving up the edge that quickly and, and, and that often? What is it about the structure of the of Todd Orlando's base defense that allows West Virginia or Oklahoma State or Oklahoma to not only run but then also at times pass or run via the pass and get there so quickly? That It's really bothersome. It, there's no doubt it's a kryptonite, and it's not going to go away until he makes an adjustment. That's right. So the base of this defense is the three defensive linemen are all lined up inside the opponent's tackles, right? So you have your nose tackle and your two four eyes. Sometimes they play them in a three. Every now and then they play them in a five technique in which you actually have like a, a chance to set the edge. But even when we do that, we don't set the edge correctly. So I guess what I'm, I'm, I try to convey to people who's like the casual sports fan who may not have the, the technical knowledge, and I, my technical knowledge is not equivalent to a coach. It's not my profession. But I can make basic observations, and we don't set the edge. No. And if you were a New England Patriot, aside from the word and the phrase, do your job, all you would hear in the defensive meeting room is set the edge, set the edge, set the edge. Edge defender, you got to spill that. Edge defender, you got to close that down. The reason is that's how you constrain and tighten an offense. Because if you give people free reign around the corner, basically you're now asking your defensive backs to make great plays from distance, right? So people act like all missed tackles are created equal. No. Well, the fact is, if you do a great job squeezing down, your linebacker has one gap in front of them. The running back's coming through that gap, and that linebacker runs at him and misses. That's an egregious, horrible missed tackle. 
right? Yeah. But if you don't set the edge, you give a, an offense a soft corner, that running back comes around that corner at a full sprint, and he's got green in front of him, right? He's got a three-way go. He can go left, right, or forward. And you're coming at an angle trying to, to hit him like a missile shot, which is what we teach instead of breaking down and tackling. You are far more likely to get embarrassed, and it's more understandable that you'd get embarrassed by a great athlete in space. So that's what Todd Orlando is asking these guys to do structurally. And it's really difficult. And that's why I termed jokingly the phrase last year, the super nickel, which is we ask our nickel back to cover the slot in man-to-man coverage. We ask our nickel back to be the edge run force. And the guy weighs 200 pounds, and we're asking him to be the edge run force against the pulling lineman. And we ask him to take on tight ends. We ask him to do all these different things. And so I just jokingly called it the super nickel. And, you know, basically, unless you're freaking – you know, Ed Reed or, or, you know, God, I can't even name, I don't even know if Ed Reed could pull that off. Derwin James. Yeah. Derwin James. So basically you have to be 215 pounds. You have to be Jalen Ramsey to play nickel for us and, and accomplish all the things that Orlando asks. So on the backside. So this time, OU did a different thing, which is rather than run at the nickel, which is what West Virginia did last year, which is what several teams exploited us with. They ran to the short side of the field on the backside. And they realized by formation, literally by formation, they could outnumber us at the point of attack. And in football, that can never, ever happen. No. Right? It's just math. That's all it is. And it's math. It it does worry me, though, that Orlando continues to put these guys in this situation. It has felt, too, some of the the things you've talked about for, for a long time now, that it feel definitely this season that it feels like the players are are a little too robotic and unfortunately we've seen that on defense that kind of spilled over to the offense while the defensive game plans maybe have been game to game adjustment to adjustment like an NCAA tournament game or maybe you know you got some advantages disadvantages all that stuff the offense have been pretty consistent that was a lame-ass game plan. And some of the horizontal stuff early did feel very Greg Davis, but I, I can't believe – look, I, I watched Alex Grinch for a long time. He wasn't there for, for a, a long-ass time, but watched him at Washington State. Everything he did at Washington State with the twists and stunts is pretty much what he did on Saturday. Why weren't these guys ready to go? What happened on offense? I don't know. You know, I, I laughed a lot when you told me that – and I read, I think, also that they had Greg Davis in the building last week consulting on the game plan. And you, I think we both made the expected jokes and whatever. But right. holy shit, we saw a circa 2000-2004 GD game plan on Saturday. Yeah, we and did. It was passive. It was, it was sort of like, well, we're just going to run our stuff. It didn't really matter what OU was doing, right? Mm-hmm. And my attitude is you can't let a super aggressive defense play downhill in a rivalry game. Mm-hmm. You've got to do something to put them on their heels. You've got to create some hesitation. And we've got an experienced, good, smart quarterback. You could run, hurry up, no huddle, short passing game. You can put in you know, five wide and say, okay, you want to come on stunts? You want to bring five or six? Awesome. We're going to run five wide, and we're going to have individual one-on-one matchups across the board and we're going to run three guys short and two guys long and let Sam take his choice, and he's going to get the ball out quickly, and we're going to get eight yards, 
and then we're going to line up and we're going to do it again. And guess what? You're going to miss a tackle eventually, right? And one of those little squirt plays for five, six, eight yards down the field is going to go for 30, for 40. You start getting on your heels, and then we're going to start running more base offense, running counters, running misdirections, running screen game. Did you see a single screen until late in the game to Roshan Johnson? Late, I mean, late in the game, I saw, I saw Davis-esque swing passes that that, uh, that that were so obvious that it, it was almost like the Lynn Amity offenses. Remember the uh, – The, the, the flex end? Yeah, but the, also the ISO, then the play action, we'd run off of it that would take six seconds with the stomach in the ball, and then Gardere hiding it un- underneath his sack for a couple seconds, and then seeing if Kenny Neal can't break open in coverage. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it was take- – <laughs> seriously, it was taking me back to that, man. But these swing passes behind the line of scrimmage – Paul, were you not looking at that thinking, okay, we gave up those two. It's like boxing. I know you're really into boxing, and you give a couple weak-ass punches, almost setting the guy up for what should be a knockout blow. Yeah, so I thought what was going to happen was we were going to show that screen. Sam was going to do a lazy roll backwards, right? And he's and Duvernay's really threading out the screen, right. and showing it, being obvious. And then all of a sudden, Sam takes a step back, looks the opposite direction, and throws it to a streaking Brennan Eagles or Colin Johnson up the sideline, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that wasn't the plan. <laughs> that was not in the game plan. And I, I don't know how you don't put in screen game, counter, misdirection, hurry up, no huddle against the Alex Grinch defense. I mean, it's, he is telegraphing what he wants to do. And he wants to cause mayhem with, you know, T.E. stunts. He wants to do twists. He wants to do line games. He wants to run Kenneth Murray downhill repeatedly on stunts. They're using Neville Gallimore to set the guard, meaning he's lined up at nose tackle. He'll slant hard, run into Junior Engelau, turn his shoulders, set him. And then Shaq stands there kind of flat-footed and confused. Oh, where's my nose tackle? I'll just stand here. And then Kenneth Murray sprints by the gap. Right, that happened mm-hmm. repeatedly, mm-hmm. and that's that's super basic football, man. And, like, and, the, and the sad thing know. is, Paul, at times Gallimore, when he was trying to set that, did more and actually was disruptive. Did more than what the job was needed and, and blew some stuff up. Oh yeah, Gallimore's good. I he mean, is. we said in our pregame preview that he is a good football player. He's vastly improved. They got him in shape. You're he right about, about that. Dude, that guy's a stud. He's an excellent player, and he really helped expose our front and our offensive line blocking schemes. But, you know, I believe that physicality stems from the game plan. And I understand that people always look at the end product and say, well, OU is just more physical. Well, I don't think so. I I mean, I can tell you Casey Hampton, Sean Rogers, they're not pusses. Yeah. Right. And when Texas is losing back in 2063 to 10 or whatever the score was, 14, we got two touchdowns. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to shortchange us. Uh, <laughs> when we're losing those games because we didn't know how to play zone read, like literally had no idea what zone read was, that's not on them. It's not their lack of physicality. It's not their lack of toughness. It's poor preparation. And when you're not prepared, particularly in a rivalry game, dude, you are paralyzed. And you get passive, and you start to be the nail and not the hammer. That's a good way to put it. it. Yeah, I was hoping we were over this. And look, we're not going to go prisoner of the moment too far on this and, and say that all of a sudden the NFL is going to 
The NFL is going to have the old book out, the old word that Texas guys just, you know, at times can be soft because that's not the case, certainly with this program right now, even though they look like it on Saturday, but that they're uh, they're not well-schooled and that they're not coached up very well. And, Paul, we got to remember, that was the book on Texas when they were winning 10 games. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question because we were winning with talent and just overwhelming people with Jimmys and Joes. And so the X's and O's became kind of moot. And I was viewed always as this kind of wet blanket because I was always saying, hey, this is going to catch up to us. Yeah. You can't just keep doing this. And also we're getting at the same time increasingly lazy in some of our recruiting evaluations, right? Because the staff is, you know, they're working 10 to 2 Tuesday through Thursday. And once those things combined with the malaise on the X's and O's side, that's when Texas suddenly had this shocking five and seven season in 2010 after playing for the national title the year before. I'm not predicting anything like that with Tom Herman. That staff does work hard. They do make excellent recruiting evaluations. Texas is doing a nice job recruiting, but Tom Herman has to ask some hard questions Yes, and they can't pin this on the players. They can't pin this on injury. The fact is we were making all these same mistakes when Caden Stearns was in the lineup. Caden Stearns, missed four or five tackles in his last game before he got injured, okay? All these guys, Chris Brown, before he got injured, had five missed tackles. Chris Brown didn't miss a tackle in his first three games this season. So what's going on? And Tom Herman has to put his finger on it and start to realize that sometimes the staff that gets you the job isn't the staff that will let you keep the job. Right, or the staff that builds the program. Uh, I mean, I think that early on you maybe can go uh, – I don't know, you can actually go both ways. But early on, if you have to get Jimmy and Joe's in there, it's okay to get a Bruce Chambers in there for a year or two and really try and own a certain region and build a pipeline or a certain city or a certain area that you know you're going to need and you know you need talent right now and you've got enough good technical coaches that you can work around that. I then there's a time when you're right you get maybe three or four years in and you realize that we either got to go a different direction because we already had that taken care of and actually get some real coaching in here that can mix with recruiting or you got to look at guys that were thought of as geniuses and football changes pretty quickly and it's been about a year now that we can have some questions about Todd Orlando and certain schemes he goes up against. I'm not saying get rid of Orlando, but Orlando needs to have some reflective moments where he really thinks, okay, how have they caught up to me? What are they taking advantage of? And what can I do with the personnel I have, injured or not, to get around that? You know, it took too long last year for him to get used to his personnel, to adjust to it, and then make the necessary adjustments. I'm hoping that's not the case this year. Yeah, I, so I think I wrote um, an article on Barking Carnival where I basically said there's two ways that you kind of lose in the, on the whiteboard, right? The coaches can lose. They can post an L, right? Mm-hmm. There's you don't do a very good job of game prep. You do a poor job of diagnosing the other team, or they do something very different, or you don't do a good job of matching up your personnel to them. That happens to every staff ever. Let Hughes without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> We've all messed up. On, on a short basis, short turnaround, that's college football, right? You've got to prepare for all these different systems and schemes. Any staff can lose that week, right? Right. I think that's what happened to the Texas offense, okay? There's another way that you can lose on the whiteboard, and that's when you lose in the spring and the fall. 
because you don't install a base defense, because you don't teach fundamentals, because you don't ask yourself hard questions, because you don't self-scout. I think that's where Todd Orlando lost this defense. And I think it's written all over our play. And the pernicious part about the second type of failure is that in the first part, it's very easy for the Texas offensive coaches to all have a come to Jesus meeting and go, Hey man, I think we kind of failed the guys that last week in the game plan. Like let's, let's raise our game. Right. Yeah. On the other side, you go, these players keep missing tackles. Well, there's nothing I can do. They, well, we have more guys getting shoulder stingers and breaking their shoulders coming from 20 yards away, trying to support the edge. Just bad luck, right? Bad luck. Well, what can you do? You just throw up your hands. I guess we're just going to try to play our – I mean, hey, man, when you blow the spring and the fall, it's so easy to point the finger at the players because you haven't given them the tools to grow and be fundamental football players. And that has been my criticism of Todd Orlando. That's – I could be wrong, but every week that we play defense, I think I add another W to my win column on that prediction. Yeah. And it's and- unfortunate – because I'd like nothing more than to be wrong. Yeah, right. No, no, exactly. Just to let everyone know, whenever Paul and I give honest opinions, objective opinions on Texas that may be negative, we are hoping we are wrong. We are too old to uh, care about being right. At least I hope you're at that spot, aren't you? 100%. You, I, I would like nothing more than for Texas to be a top 20 defense for the rest of the year. Todd Orlando has this protecting the edge like we got Willie McGinnis running around out there <laughs> I, I would like nothing more than a giant F you in my face I can assure you because that means Texas wins a bunch of games and we have an awesome season I've been moving that's not happening no and I've been moving more and more towards your direction of of questioning Todd Orlando I mean I definitely had questions about him but I also want to I don't want to be prisoner of the moment and I don't want to uh I don't want to sell on someone who has a pretty good track record and has a pretty good resume. I mean, he's outcoached Lincoln Riley as many times as Lincoln Riley has outcoached him whenever you look at head-to-head matchups. That has not been the case the last couple of years, and that's where you look at recent – you know, it's not recency bias, but I look at, okay, well, it's two year, It's about a year and a half now that some offenses have figured him out, and we see a pattern of how they're hitting him and hitting this defense, and yet we don't have an adjustment to it. And that's frustrating, and I completely agree with you. I, th- I think you're right. You asked, you know, I don't know if I'm right or not. I think you are right. I think a lot of this goes back to the spring, and if anything, making sure that you get other guys enough reps. I know they had a lot of guys out, so I'm thinking that a lot of these backup guys got reps. Maybe that wasn't enough of it. But also tackling, man. I mean, when I see bad angles and, and bad tackling, that can be done in the spring. Yeah, well, you know, P.J. Locke had an interesting revealing comment on Twitter. Uh, a bunch of UT players were kind of commenting about what was going on, and he and Amenahu were chatting, and basically someone said, hey, they, they need to break down. Why, are, why don't they break down to tackle? Mm-hmm. The whole idea is not to deliver a kill shot. It's just to get the guy on the ground. Or right? at least to hold them up while other people pursue. Well, if you want to get a kill shot, and anyone who knows played football knows this, get a guy to hold a, a runner up, yep. and then you be the guy that delivers the kill shot because that guy's not moving, uh-huh. right? But P.J. Locke... That was the only way I got kill shots. That's right. That's right. Uh, or in the happy hour, Chili's. <laughs> yeah, right. Run into like a chain-smoking divorcee. That's, that's your kill shot opportunity. That is, it is right now, baby. No, no doubt about that. But P.J. Locke said, well, they don't teach that. They didn't teach us that. They encouraged us Ugh. to be missiles. Ooh. They wanted us to come hell or high water. 
And that's what we work on. And he said, you know, we don't teach breaking down. And he said, it's kind of funny. And Amenahu responded, you know, that's all great, but you got to see what you're firing at. And the, the whole idea is just to get the dude on the ground and, and go on to the next play. And boy, you, you saw that with Texas, but let, let's not all dwell on the negative. Did you see any bright spots individually with any players in the game? Uh, I thought Anthony Cook played played okay, and and, and, I'm, and I'm not just talking about the uh, the forced fumble, but I think he's starting to get it, and we know that he's a very talented player. I, uh, all right, I, I'll get to some positive stuff here in a second, but I don't even know how to judge our linebackers, uh, especially Osai. What the hell are they doing covering stuff out in the flats like that? So Osai is now our multi-tool, right? He is, is he? He's kind of at times playing our super nickel, right? Sometimes he's an edge rusher. And by the way, when he was deployed as an edge rusher, he had six pressures and three quarterback hits. That's why I said it's really tough to judge him because when I saw him in that role, he looked really damn good. And I'll get getting back to your point, and maybe it can be the theme of this show, I don't blame him for what the coaches put him in on some of those other situations. No, Joe's a really good player. And uh, he played his ass off. I thought he played really hard. Cook played well. I think you're absolutely right. The linebacker play was putrid. Adia and Jawan Mitchell, they had no idea what their keys were. They didn't understand that they had to spill to the edge hard when we're running that three-man tight front. Who's that on? Uh, they were very hesitant. They didn't do a good job in containment when they were ever assigned to spiral, which was infrequent. And uh, on offense, Rashawn Johnson, man. Yeah. How can you not love that kid? He has been the biggest surprise for me uh, with everyone this year, and and you got to love him. I didn't think that we were, we were going to see exactly the development that we saw, and I'm talking about even a couple weeks ago. We said last week on the podcast that there's some you know nuanced things that he's actually doing as a running back now. You know, only eight carries. Keontae only had two. There's a part of me, too. Yes, you're right about Roshan, but there's a part of me, I don't know what – I wanted to see more empty sets, and I think there's things Tom Herman could have done, and I would have gone more vertical on them, and I would have really tested them and see see you know if they can go dime and how that works. With that said, well, you know, so that hold, hold on. Up. With that said, I'm not sure if any of this works because the offensive line was that bad. Well, so here's the deal, Kevin. You can effectively manage pressure with formation, and and we know that because we've watched. Big 12, hurry up, no huddle teams do that with subpar offensive line talent for years, mm-hmm. right? Texas Tech's not filling the NFL with NFL offensive line talent, no. right? But what they do is spread the field and they put pressure on your defense and they say, hey, if you want to blitz, great. We invite you. We've got a bunch of prepackaged plays to attack that pressure, to relieve that pressure, to create a little valve that our quarterback can spin and get the ball out quickly and, and we're, we're happy for you, for you to show your blitz and come bring it with a bunch of line stunts because we're going to run quick game on you. We didn't do that. And until you try it, you don't know if it will work. And, and people could say, well, that's not our identity. Well, might want to explore a new identity <laughs> because Cade Brewer out there, not a net positive. He's not a good receiver. He's, he's not adding value as a receiver, and he's a net negative as a blocker. I'm not going to get into details on that. I'm just going to say that – he was not helpful to our effort, either as a pass protector or as a run blocker in that game. 
No, we had some problems, and yet you're right. If you want to keep a tight end in and go 11, then that's probably the way to go. I, I, that's my biggest shock that the offense didn't adjust to that. I kept on waiting for them to to say, all right, we'll go empty set, and we're really going to mess with you, and we're going to take some shots. And, and if you guys defend it, and if you guys hold like you do on every play, by the way, great call by you. I had heard that from other people that they're teaching that, and – it's hard not to believe, especially when you watch games yesterday. I don't know if you watched the Texans, say yesterday, uh, Sunday. We, the Texans and then also the Chiefs, I mean, it, there were yellow flags all over the place, and it was obvious that the the defenses were saying, well, we can't cover these skill talents, so we're going to hold Tyreek Hill. We're going to hold DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, that's why I would say, actually, for – but for one dropped pass on an RPO, which would have gone for probably 50, 60 yards, Colin Johnson actually played well. And he had six catches for 82 yards. He drew two pass interference penalties, and he was aggressive, right? His first catch, he's out there in single coverage with Parnell Motley. He catches what I described last week. He catches a 14-yarder right in front of him, turns around, squares up at the guy, runs through his hip tackle, and gains another seven or eight yards, and everyone's fired up, right? Well, we didn't go to that well enough or, or sufficiently. And then, you know, people are critical of Sam Ellinger's performance, which I certainly understand because his, his play deteriorated as the offensive line deteriorated and as the, as the offense deteriorated. But he threw five strikes for what would have been big plus yardage. And either that ball was dropped outright, or dropped while being pass interference, mm-hmm. and that there was not a flag thrown. And those two, two to Brennan Eagles, one to Colin Johnson, one to Jake Smith, and then one other that I can't recall off the top of my mind. I remember charting it. I, can't, I don't have it in front of me. But he threw strikes. And if those are completions, he, you add 150 yards and two touchdowns to his box score, right? It's a different ball game. But we, we really, I think, those OU defensive backs got in our receivers' heads. And I wonder how much their holding and their propensity for it was a coaching point throughout the week for our staff. Uh, that's a good question, and it's one of the things we touched on a little bit, and then you and I talked off the air, off the air. Look at my radio coming in. We talked off the podcast about this, and that is how, how do you do that as a coaching staff? Well, there are ways, and really, like you were saying, everything starts in the spring. It starts early on in the week and making sure that the Big 12 office, if they have one, if they answer the phone, if they take video, whatever. I understand that that's a complete shit show. But letting them know that we are aware of this and then it spills all the way to game day, does it not? Yeah, 100%. You have to make it a coaching point through the week. You have to tell your receivers you will get held. Your job is to exaggerate the hold, right? It's, it's not to try to catch the ball with one arm. It's to strain with your arm that's being held and let the guy spin you around so that the official has to throw the flag, right? Yeah. It's, it's like it's a defensive lineman if you're getting held. 100%. And also, if the defensive guy initiates the contact and you're Brennan Eagles and you weigh 225 pounds and he weighs 180, run through him. Run through him. Make, make the official throw the flag or knock the guy on his ass and mm. run and catch the wide open 60 yard touchdown pass. Yeah. I mean, you have, you've got to adopt a mindset that you're going to expose and fight through that holding. And then to your point, you've got to bring it up at the league office before the week. You've got to bring it up with the officials in pregame. You've got to bring it up with officials during the game and you've got to be on them about this singular point. You can't point to like 
these 10 different things you got to watch for. No. You got to pick that one thing and just ride their ass, ride their ass, ride their ass, and challenge them and say, hey, look, you can't be scared that you're affecting this game because you're calling the, a proper hold. You're calling defensive pass interference. If they do it five times in a row, you've got to throw five flags. And the officials, as unfortunately we saw, they threw a couple of flags, but then on the next play, oh, you would hold again and they'd swallow the flag because they didn't want to affect the game outcome in their mind. No, and look, the NFL today in 2019, not even five years ago, certainly not 10, 15 years ago, has finally gotten to that point, I think with replay, to where in that Houston-Kansas City game was a great example. They were calling it every play, and there were multiple times where they had two defensive holdings on the play to where I thought, God, this would have been nice on Saturday. Uh, I I don't know if it still gets Texas the win. And even if – look, it's it's actually remarkable Texas was – as we started this thing, was only lost by seven and was a Cameron Dicker onside kick away if Brennan Eagles can get to it. Not that he would have caught it, but uh, the the fact he could have hit off his face mask and bounced in play and we could have grabbed it, right? Yeah, I'm sad that you brought up special teams because we probably do have to talk about that and the, the really poor decision-making, which is surprising given that Oklahoma State should have served as a really good teaching point for everybody and as, as a wake-up call to the special teams coaches. But apparently not. So you had a situation where at the end of the first half, uh, Texas is going to get the ball because we used all three of our timeouts on defense. And in fact, we used one of our we used our last timeout on the field goal for OU, which was interesting. But let's move past that. So basic game management 101 is when you've got some time on the clock, like a minute 40 and no timeouts and you're going to go try to score. You don't return the kickoff. No. You, you don't return the kickoff. We return the kickoff, and it burns eight or nine, ten seconds off the clock, and we started with the ball on the 21-yard line and instead I, of the 25. And before we get the email, if you've got Devin Hester, if you've got, if you've got Rocket Ismail, return the kickoff. But yes. otherwise, don't. Yeah, exactly. And so that is just basic game management 101. And you've got to wonder, would, what if Texas had two extra plays? that they could have had in their pocket and not had to kick that field goal? What if it's 10-7 at halftime? Who knows, right? Even if you say, well, OU was dominant, it wouldn't have mattered, that's fine, but shouldn't we just try to aspire to play the game correctly? Yeah. And, and you know and, what? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, then you had a later situation where Devin Duvernay is in his own head now, right? So he returns a kick that he shouldn't have returned, that he brings out to the 13, right? It doesn't go anywhere. And then he gets really in his head, tries to fair catch it. The ball comes out to the five. He botches the fair catch, and it's down. Texas starts the ball five-yard line. I mean, and then, of course, you had Deshaun Jameson let another punt roll about 15, 20 yards to the Texas 10. And that, that punt, he had plenty of room. It was an easy punt. It wasn't doing crazy stuff in the air. He just got in his own head. And I just think that the, the attention to detail in some aspects of special teams is pretty horrific. And so, you know, Derek Wareham may be the titular head of the special teams, right? He may have that title. Yeah. From what I've heard, it's Casey Horney, who's basically the QA, who's in charge of a lot of that stuff. He's not doing a good job, man. No, he's not. And and it also, it was one of the spots where it showed, at least it, it, 
it gave the appearance that this is a dumb football team, and 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 that's that's out of character for them for the most part. But they have had issues with special teams. That's one of those things where Tom Herman has to be reflective. And I'm not just talking about at the end of the year. That's something that they need to address and hopefully have addressed right now. And the other issue with that is, like with Orlando and people getting to the edge and getting to the corner, it's not the first time. This should have already been addressed. Yeah, I think so, but we probably need to address our next opponent because we could probably spend the full hour and a half talking about OU, but there is the rest of the season, and Texas still has the whole, uh, a lot of its realistic goals in front of it. Uh, Are they playing this weekend? Really, there's... Pardon? Is Texas playing this weekend? I didn't know they were playing. Yeah, exactly. You just want to you want to just mourn and wear black and, just, and wander around for a couple of weeks. I don't know if you saw Tom Herman's press conference, but obviously, I mean, on a Monday, a majority of the questions after that game are going to be OU, and he left right away saying, "Beat Kansas." Thanks for the questions. Uh, he did the Bill Belichick. We're on to Cincinnati thing. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he wasn't Mac. At, he wasn't Mac, but there were some Mac like things in the press conference. Well, I'll, I'll defend Tom Herman. We just spent a bunch of time beating up the coaching staff. That's what you have to do as a coach. Yeah, you really. You can't sit there and dwell and feel sorry for yourself and let the players revel and, oh, we poor us. I mean, you just have to move on. And, and I'll, I understand the fans and people like us want to dissect the game and go over it. And, of course, the coaches need to do that amongst themselves. But the public face and the face to the team needs to be, that game's over. Here are some corrections. We're burning the game tape. Let's talk Kansas. Because if we let Kansas beat us at home, uh, that's, Talk about putting a damper on the season. So you want to talk a little about the old Jayhawks? Yeah, let's talk about the Jayhawks. I haven't seen a bunch of them. I, I watched some of that Oklahoma-Kansas game, and Carter Stanley actually threw some pretty good balls. The senior quarterback, I'm not sure how consistent he is. And we do know that Puka, the little uh, the little bug, jitterbug they have, not a big guy. They will at times make sure that they, they feed him the rock like he is one. But he's the type of guy who can squirt through certain holes, and he will test the tackling. Yep, he'll test your tackling. He'll test your soundness, right, and your yeah. ability. Because he's going to try to get the edge yep. every time he can. And uh, he popped some big runs against Texas last year. I'm sure Kansas is looking to scheme that up again this year. Uh, Carter Stanley, to your point, he's been at Kansas forever. He used to alternate with Peyton Bender, right? And uh, Stanley just runs hot and cold. I've watched him play enough that – he, he can have little streaks where he's throwing pretty good balls. He's got some sneaky mobility. Uh, but, man, when he goes bad, it goes bad. And he can make some really bad decisions. And he'll throw across his body late and do all sorts of stupid stuff. So I, I think he's a turnover waiting to happen if you, if you defend him correctly and put some pressure on him. Uh, they do have a guy, in addition to Puka Williams, who's pretty dangerous. Their number one receiver, his name is Andrew Parchment. Okay which sounds like a name in a witness protection program, right? <laughs> Can you have, it's like, uh, Giancarlo Bonifacio, your new name is Andrew Parchment. You are from Boise, Idaho. You are an avid fly fisherman, and your father was a shopkeeper, right? <laughs> exactly. You nailed it. Your wife Maria is now named Pam. And she never answers to it. Exactly. Well, she's <laughs> probably in a land somewhere. But, uh, yeah, Andrew Parchment is their number one receiver. He's a tall, skinny guy who can run. Uh, they hit him on vertical shots. And uh, 
that's about the extent of their big skill threats. All righty. They've actually been an interesting... Well, they have a good uh, offensive tackle. Named, his name is Hakeem Adeniji. He's who's a, a, a good player. He's a left uh, tackle, right? Yep, yeah, product of one of those lion moms we talked about ah. a few weeks ago. Um, that's the Kansas offense. They are coming off a bye week. They fired former Texas X, uh, Les Coning. I saw that. Uh, Koenig, well, right? Koenig. He's always going to be a Texas X, but he was a former Texas coach under Charlie Strong. Yeah, was uh, they he? fired him, and they promoted a uh, quality assurance guy, they, one of their analysts, to be the offensive coordinator. So they've had a whole week to basically install some new offense, and so whatever Texas sees will be fairly new. Uh, but that's not reflected. I saw it's a 21.5-point line. Does that seem right to you or excessive or too low, or what do you think? I think that seems actually right on the money. Um, you add the hook in there. I would probably take Kansas with that because of the hook. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's about anywhere from 17 to, to 21. Okay. What about yeah, you? Do you, has, do you agree with that? Uh, man, I think if a, the opposing offense keeps plugging along – I think there's points to be had against this Texas defense, both early. Obviously, you're going to score on your first drive. That's a given. Yeah. But, no, the script is going to work. Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's some points always to be had late when you start to make some adjustments and maybe they're not always matched. So I think it's a ripe opportunity for a backdoor cover of the 41-24 variety. So maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. No, I, I think you're right about that. Any other, uh, any other Texas thoughts here before we uh, move on here or not? Uh, Kansas, you mean? Uh, Kansas, yeah, Kansas, Texas. You know what I'm saying? Just Texas in general, whether it's OU, yeah, uh, wrap Kansas, up or KU. They've got a couple of injuries on their end. They've got a linebacker named Drew Prox. You, uh, I think you contracted Drew Prox in college, didn't you, Kevin? I, I, I got it on the real world, and luckily they came <laughs> they came up with a <laughs> with a medicine for it. I think a couple years after that, it was good timing on my part. And they've also got a DB named Hassan Defense. Okay. Which that's a great I name. Wrote in my, uh, well, I wrote in my football preview that that's an Egyptian military strategy. <laughs> we will, we, our invaders have come. We will run the Hassan Defense. Hassan, do your duty. Uh, <laughs> You're on And then they've got an today, outside man. linebacker named Azur Kamara. He actually flashed against OU, so I actually looked up the guy. He is a big... Uh, he's kind of like a poor man's Joe Asai, okay. and he's about 6'4", 240. He's a good edge rusher. He's very mobile, and uh, he actually gave Jalen Hurts some problems in pursuit. So he's a guy to look for. His name's Azur Kamara. Other than that, they've been a pretty willing defense, and what they've really struggled to do is get off the field on third down. People have played ball control on them and uh, really worn them down over time. So that's the Kansas Jayhawks in a nutshell. I think this game is probably a lot more about Texas than Kansas, and it's really about how the team can rally mentally, physically, and, and also in terms of just maybe making some progress on the old whiteboard in some key areas, and, and that'll really show on the scoreboard on Saturday. Texas needs this. I mean, it's important. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because there's not – look, Texas hasn't had a lot of separation between anyone they've played. We've talked about it. They play down to their opponents. They play up to their opponents. And I think a lot of that is is just talent and kind of where Texas is right now. And that's why last week – you could say they, they played up, but it didn't feel like a seven-point game. Texas could lose this game. It is important. They better flush just like Georgia better flush. 
Yeah, so talk to me. You, uh, I think, did a good job of doing some due diligence on the rest of college football in the top 25. Talk to me about what you saw last Saturday. You know, it's funny. If you look at Georgia and the way they played, I went back and rewatched that game, and and then I looked at Kirby, uh, Kirby Smart's postgame quotes, and it, it really should have read as exactly what Tom Herman said. He wasn't happy with the offensive line. He wasn't happy with the physicality. He wasn't happy with the preparation, yada, yada, yada. And, and, of course, the, the Georgia line is from Jake Fromm. We didn't show up today. We just didn't take this, you know, as seriously as we should have. They're going to have to uh, cut that out. But their offensive line, it, it's, it is individually a very talented unit. They are still not functioning uh, as a unit the way they should. And individually, man, they got some really good talented players that are going to be NFL guys. They just weren't moving people. And Fromm looked really Bad. I like Jake Fromm, and he's a he is usually a big big game and also big play. So third down and eight, you need the back shoulder fade. Boom, it's there, and it looks like an NFL throw. He had one off the back of his foot that went for a pick six. It's the biggest win in South Carolina history in the SEC. That's not saying a lot. They've been around since '92. I think that's when they moved from the ACC to the SEC. But this is kind of one of those weeks, and unfortunately for Texas fans, that we finally got some real matchups. And it maybe took till week five, six, seven, whatever that was in college football. But we can kind of figure out the puzzle a little bit more now. Now, college football and pro football, it's week to week. And you've got to be able to change your ideas and change your thoughts with that while also not being maybe too reactionary. But I think we found something out, not only about Texas, not only about Georgia, but some of the pretenders. I don't think Notre Dame is a playoff team. Florida LSU was the best football game, college football game I saw all weekend. Isn't it amazing that when you get NFL defenders and NFL talent to go with a 21st century offense and some pretty good quarterbacks, how much more watchable the game is? Yeah, I I mean, you're exactly right. And boy, if anyone's going to put a spoiler on this notion of Alabama, Ohio State, destined to meet for the title it's going to be lsu right mm-hmm. no doubt and, uh, and wisconsin could give ohio state some some shit too yeah wisconsin's no joke they are like i know it's like stereotypical to talk about wisconsin this way but that's as fundamental a football team as you'll ever watch and they they base they kind of honor the game of football when yeah. you watch them play <laughs> because true. everybody is doing everything correctly yeah. and when they when they, when they when there's a play made on Wisconsin, it's because the better athlete did something great. It's not because someone messed up. Right. And it's it's kind of fascinating to watch that kind of team, you know, week in and week out. You know, also food for thought here, Kevin. We always talk about evaluating the opponent and game planning them. You know, it's also important for coaches to evaluate their own talent correctly. And I've got to wonder if Kirby Smart would like another shot at that evaluation of Justin Fields versus Jake Fromm. Mm. Mm. And what about Ohio State a couple of years ago when they had Joe Burrow? Uh, you know, I watched an Ohio State spring game when Joe Burrow was on the GA market and he might potentially transfer to Texas, you know, for a moment that was thought to be a potential thing, right? right? And he was throwing strikes. I mean, he was impressive. And if you know more about Burrow, he is a very good athlete. He's a legit 6'4". He's very durable. And uh, he was all-state in basketball in Ohio. I mean, he's, he's a real athlete and, and clearly a real passer and a real thrower. I wonder, like, 
it's very interesting to me that you're having all these transfers, whether it's Kyler Murray or, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, where the, the coach, I, you know, look, and I understand, Pat, if you pick Patrick, Pat Mahomes over Baker Mayfield, I, yeah, you're forgiven. I got you. <laughs> but I got your back. But it is interesting the quality of quarterback that can be obtained on that GA or transfer market because things aren't working out or there's a bad system. And it, it really, to me, is proof of the degree to which even great players are just the product of, of a system that helps them show their talent. No doubt. And getting back to Burrow, I mean, that does make me feel better as we talked about the Texas evaluations, recruiting evaluations, and Rondell Moore. Well, you lost him, but you obviously got that eval, eval right. And then you look at a guy like Burrow. I mean, Herman would have been there, and Herman did recruit him, and I'm guessing Derek Chang and a lot of the people that are working with the Texas recruiting staff right now that are doing a lot of the film work and evaluating and trying to turn over stones that that they were there. I know, I think Chang definitely was at Ohio State. So that is a good sign, and for a little while there, the Big Ten could not have any good quarterback play if it was not a second- or third-string Big Ten bust uh, that had come down. But I think Burrow's in the right system. In terms of fields, I completely agree with you. And I said at the time, I thought, man, I'd take a closer look at this because the packages they had for him last year as strictly a runner were not creative at all. And it reminded me a little bit of kind of what the hell Texas was doing on Saturday. One other guy I want to throw in there, because when the cocktail party comes together, you could look at both those guys. And I don't think Georgia fans are selling on Fromm right away, but I agree with your point. They should have taken a closer look at fields. Why the hell was Kyle Trask not starting? I mean, are you kidding me? Felipe Franks, I know he was a big recruit. Felipe Franks is not a good college quarterback. He's not a good quarterback in general. He's not accurate. He's a bad leader. Yes. Bad body language. Did kind you, of a turd. Did you see some of the right? throws? Yes, he is. I mean, from what I've heard, the body language absolutely has been there. Have you? Did you see some of the throws that Trask was making his first road game? Oh yeah, it was a night game in Death Valley. Trask is, was very impressive. He was making some great throws. Some great great throws, Paul. Well, it's amazing to think, well, that's what's crazy, man. It, it, it must be cognitive bias, yeah. right? You settle on your guy, that's your guy, and kind of doesn't really matter what the other positions do. Now, coaches don't do that at other positions, right? If your guard keeps getting beat, even though he's a two-year starter, he gets replaced. Right. Michael, you know, uh, Gerald Wilbon, we thought was going to be at least splitting time this year with Keandre Coburn. He's third team. Yeah. Right? Jomo. Because because Coburn and Ojomo are better football players. Right. And the coaches go, yep, they're better football players. Sorry. But man, coaches don't think that way with the quarterback position, do they? No, they don't. And I I'm, know we're going to get some some emails on, well, Texas coaches don't do that with the running back position either. And uh, on the Monday show, on the talk show that I do, I, I kind of, you know, was telling Chad and Brian Davis, look, let's not, I understand that you guys want to find out who a starter is and it's really easy to have a starter. Do you remember Carlton Dixon on the basketball team? Of course. Okay. So Carlton Dixon started the year that Reggie Freeman was either, I think a freshman or a sophomore and Freeman was just lighting it up and averaging probably 20 points a game and Dixon didn't do much, but Dixon started and he played about five or six minutes a game and Reggie Freeman got about 32 or 33 minutes a game. If it's that big for you to say, well, he's a starter, it's about production and also volume. And the reality is is that Roshan got four times as many carries as Keontae and also two more catches. So 
he is the starter if they just don't want to say it. And I think with those two positions, it get down it gets down to ego and not bruising one. Yeah, it's it's all snaps and touches. That's all that matters. Right. That's how many all snaps that matters. Are you on the field. How many times do you touch the ball? Uh, that's all that matters. That's that's really all that's relevant. And people get very caught up in who's a starter, who's not. You know, I guess what you can put a, the the tab on your letter jacket. Or I, I don't I don't <laughs> care. Right. But I think the thing with Keontae Ingram is the guy physically obviously has some deficits. He, he's so far, he's been made out of porcelain, right? He's always getting injured. And I think they're trying to keep him mentally propped up and engaged because they need him, right? Daniel Young's hurt again. Yeah. Jordan Whittington is not back. The idea that you're just going to throw Keontae Ingram in the trash bin and say, Rashawn Johnson, you're going to get 24, 25 carries and catch six balls. You're going to be in on pass protection on every. No, that's stupid. I mean, the guy, as, as amazingly as Rashawn Johnson has played, he, he's not senior Ricky Williams. He's not Deontay Foreman when we're, you know, he's not going to carry it 52 times for Charlie Strong against Kansas, right? <laughs> right. So, like, let's just keep some rationality about it and realize that although we can be critical of the coaches, sometimes hypercritical, there's plenty of good reasons and sound reasons they're doing the things they do. And for one of them, starting Keontae Ingram is just fine. It's not a big deal. No, it's not. Well, we are not critical of Gabe, and we've told you about Gabe from Mortgage Solutions, and he's already saved saved a couple of our listeners some money. They're going to make sure that whatever mortgage you have today is the mortgage that's right for your situation in life today and your goals for tomorrow. So they're looking at a lot of different things. And the best thing about Gabe, he is a Texas grad, 1999, and uh, but he's already, like I said, already saves, uh, saved a couple listeners a lot of money. 832-557-1095. That's 832-557-1095. It's Gabe from Mortgage Solutions. And also want to give AV Consultations, audio-visual consultations, a shout-out. Our uh, our buddies over there are uh, can really do a lot of different things. But if you're in the Central Texas area and you're looking for a really professional, good TV setup, they're the ones to call. They've been doing it for 30-plus years. It's avconsultations.com or 512 Five five eight six seven eight. Paul, you brought your A game. We'll talk next week. Kevin, you brought a solid C plus, and uh, I appreciate that, man. I thought I had a C minus. I'll take that grade. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm always I always grade on a curve, brother. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it and run. I'm, I'm treating you like I'm treating you like Keontae Ingram. I'm trying to keep <laughs> your mental. I'm trying to keep your spirits up, brother. Don't, don't bruise my ego. <laughs> we'll talk next week, y'all. See ya.